if you have ways in which to have a hangout or a, a meetup of some kind or attend an event where you can actually face to face come and meet with your fellow human beings, you exponentially raise the the value in whatever you're conveying through your podcast. Podcast Junkies, episode 215. Welcome back. I'm Harry Duran, host of the show where I get to interview some of the most amazing folks in the podcasting space, from podcasters telling the stories of podcasting over 10 years to folks who just got started and who have interesting stories to tell about their own shows and their own podcasting journey. I get to speak to podcast luminaries that are starting fantastic companies, helping out podcasters far and wide. And this has just been an amazing ride. I'm closing in on the six-year anniversary in April, but uh, this is really the sixth year as I enter the space, considering I went to New Media Expo in January of 2014. Quick moment for a rest in peace for James Lipton. Some of you may actually know that his show, Inside the Actor Studio, was one of the shows that influenced me in the start of this podcast. And I just saw today announced, thanks to Eric Hunley for pointing it out to me, that James Lipton passed away. What I didn't realize was that he was 93 years old. That's crazy. So just a quick moment to thank him for everything he's done to tell the stories of actors, which in turn inspired me in some small measure to tell the stories of podcasters. Thanks for all you've done for the world of entertainment. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and the Scarlett 2i2 third generation sound card. It's one of my go-to sound cards. It helps everything sound better. And I couldn't be happier with the sponsorship by Dan Hewley and the team at Focusrite. Head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and take a look at the custom landing page they've created to give you more information about how their line of sound cards is supporting podcasters in the podcasting community. Last week, I had the opportunity to talk to Chavi Sakdev about being India's number two podcaster. It was exciting to hear what's going on in that country. And given that there's only 400 podcasts there that are active, and given the size of the country, there can only be good things coming there. So I'm glad she was able to shine a light on that. This week, I get to speak to Juan Sepulveda. He's the host of three podcasts, which we'll get into in the interview. But what was interesting is that Juan and I connected years ago at Podcast Movement, and we would always see each other and say, hey, we need to get you on the show. And then finally, the last Podcast Movement got to spend some time together uh, after uh, a couple of the parties and and throughout, the, de- and throughout the, the course of the conference. And it was just a reminder that we need to put the foot on the gas and make it happen sooner rather than later. And I'm so glad we did. He's a gentleman in every aspect of the word. And I'm honored to be his friend and to have him share his story about his podcasting journey with you. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. And another reminder that I'll be at PodFest in Orlando, March 6th through 8th. So make sure we connect if you're there. Excited to bring you this conversation with Juan. So let's dig in a little bit to the gentleman's brotherhood. So Juan Sepulveda, 
host of not one, not two, but three <laughs> podcasts, which would drive any normal podcaster crazy, the Masonic Roundtable, the Winding Stairs Freemasonry podcast, and the Gentleman's Brotherhood. Thank you so much, brother, for uh, finally uh, coordinating times. I'm, I'm glad we, this has been years in the making, it feels like, but thanks for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Harry, it's an honor for me to be in your show. Thank you so much for having me. So, do you remember, like, the first time we connected? It had to be Podcast Movement, I think it was, right? 2016. Yeah, okay. Is that an- now, that was Chicago. It was Chicago. Yeah. What was your memories of that? Was that your first podcasting conference? It was, I had, let me see. It was the first one where I spoke. Okay. I think that I had gone to the previous one, and then I, I had a, I had a, one of the side, uh, speaking opportunities Mm -hmm. and my memories of it are very fond i got a chance to finally meet some people that i had met virtually Mm -hmm. uh you're familiar with this we connect with people from all over the world but we we have this digital relationship with them yeah and this gave me an opportunity to finally connect in person and really get to spend some downtime with them and get to know them better so that was that was a very very good thing for me and what was the first conference that you did attend then that's podcast or, or even in an event that's podcasting related? Well, I want to say it was podcast movement okay. um, before the, the year before. I think I, I went to that one. Anaheim. I've been, yeah. I, no. Well, then I didn't go to that one. I did go to Podfest. Okay. Uh, so I've been to that or one. Or Philly. Philly was, oh no, no. Philly was after. I'm getting them all confused now. Philly was after. I know. They, <laughs> they, they blend with one another now. <laughs> but I'm I'm very close to Orlando, so yeah. Podfest is, is one that has been very convenient to to go to uh, every now and then and reconnect with people. So, uh, for the benefit of the listener, can you describe? And I, I love the theater of the mind of podcasting. So, w- you know, anyone that's listening now knows that um, you have to be creative and, and envision what you're hearing. So, I thought it would be nice for you to visually describe what's going on in the background there because <laughs> oh. I, I, there's a lot going on there, uh, swords yes. hanging and stuff like that. So, maybe can, we, we can start by describing that stuff. Absolutely. Well, I have an art studio in my home. Okay. So, I have close to 300 square feet of art creating space. And my I'm, I'm a visual artist by trade. So, mm-hmm. I've been creating paintings and drawings for for a little bit close to two decades now. And I've been doing it professionally since 2004. Mm. So, as my interest continued to expand and podcast became a part of it, then I created a part of it as a recording studio. So okay. I have a backdrop behind me that has mementos uh, of, of of my life. So I have swords that I've purchased, swords that I've received as gifts. I have original paintings of my own authorship. I also have paintings from friends who are professional artists, trinkets that I have as gifts from my parents, from my friends, fans of the podcast. So there is a story behind every little thing you see back there. So it's very colorful for those of you who can't see it. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Puerto Rico. Okay. I Yeah, I grew up in Puerto Rico and I moved to, to Florida when I was 20 years old. What was the biggest change for you that you had to culturally or what was the biggest shock for you when you when you first there because at, at 20 years you're, you're definitely it's definitely formative um to, to be living the first 20 years uh, of your life in the world of uh, mofongo and, yeah. <laughs> and salsa <so. laughs> that's true uh well 
because I moved to Central Florida, mm-hmm. where there's a very large population of uh, Latin American yeah. people, mostly Puerto Ricans. Okay. So it, there wasn't that much of a cultural shock. And also in Puerto Rico, I was in the tourist tourism industry mm. for, for many years. Okay. So I had already become accustomed to speaking English on a daily basis, interacting with people from the States on a constant, you know, on a constant basis. So, so there wasn't too much of a shock when it came to culture uh, itself. So it was a, it was a smooth transition. Yeah. <laughs> now living on my own, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> when did that happen? That happened then. So right. I moved by myself okay. to, to Florida and in pursuit of a career as an artist, Okay, I knew that in Puerto Rico, the opportunities for artists were were not that many and i saw moving to the states as a as a stepping stone into really making that dream a reality making a living as an artist did you have a network of friends there family or anything to connect with when you arrived nothing wow nothing i came as an intern for disney okay which gave me a leg up when it came to getting a look into the behind the scenes part of the artistry mm-hmm. granted my internship had nothing to do with art <laughs> <I> came, <laughs> uh, it was a college internship okay so they presented to me as an opportunity to get to see how how things are made behind the scenes mm-hmm. and i i work with the food portion of mm-hmm. the industry got in touch with uh some of the managers and supervisors got to do a lot of work for those few months that i was here but the great benefit that came with that was that I then had access to all these workshops and seminars from animators, imagineers, wow. directors, and all of that really opened up my eyes to the myriad possibilities that were here. For someone who's a, a student and a, uh, of design, that must have been something pretty special to be behind, see, getting a peek behind the Disney curtain. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And being able to ask questions to these people who created created these fantasies or these you know magical yeah, yeah. landscapes and everything, to be able to ask them, what's the most challenging thing you face right now? What would give me a better opportunity to join your team as an artist? So that's invaluable, being able to directly ask those kinds of questions from the people who are already there, like we say, uh, mixing mixing the pot. Yeah. I got a peek and got a chance to really ask them the questions. So something you, you did was ask those types of questions. Are you naturally inquisitive or when, yes. what was it in you that realized, hey, I have this opportunity to to pick these people's brains and you know i don't want to let this go by so was that something that you were conscious of when you were in the presence of some of these folks that you just you know you've been given this opportunity so let's take advantage of it yes and to be frank i did not take advantage of all the opportunities that were presented to me uh now with more maturity on on board i I can see how i could have done more things and i could have gone further but for the age that i had i i thought that i yeah i did take good advantage of that and i feel very fortunate that i am naturally inquisitive Mm -hmm. i'm not i don't like sitting down and waiting for people to give me (laughs) things or offer me things yeah i like actually taking that first step and and being the one that's asking 
So what were some of the better answers or some of the most memorable answers you got to some of those questions you were asking some of those folks who have been who've had design who've been working Disney for decades and decades? What were Mm -hmm. some of the the takeaways that are most memorable? One of the most influential uh, responses was to it was his natural response to my interest in the traditional animation. Mm-hmm. This happened in 1999, okay. where we had that s- transition from traditional hand-drawn animation to the digital yeah. kind of animation. So he was able to tell me, we're on the way out. Mm-hmm. So you basically, you're showing up to the party late. <laughs> either you jump on board into the digital realm of the animation component and have your you know have the disposition to move west because everything pointed to the fact that it would be moving to where the other studios are so that showed me okay this is this is not the right step even though i was very familiar with computers because my education at the time was in computer science okay it still wasn't what i was looking for so I had to then shift gears and figure out, okay, how can I be involved in the traditional arts, picking a brush, picking mm, yeah. all these materials and creating something. That's when I, I was able to get more clarity as to what my next steps would be. As, was that your education when you were in Puerto Rico that you learned design, art, you know, was that, was that your background or what did you, It wasn't. Okay. No, my, my, I, I grew up, my mother was an artist. Okay. So she was self-taught naturally, uh, talented she would take any raw material and create something beautiful wow. and my father was the entrepreneur he was a business owner and real estate uh, person so he actually was the one who put in me that interest in the business side of of things that's a good combo oh my god yeah i, I feel i lucked out on that one yeah <laughs> so that is what and so my education was in computer science that's where i started okay and Little by little, I was changing my interest to more business. So right before I moved to Florida, I had changed my major to marketing. Okay. So my education is in marketing, like my my official degrees and all that is on business science. But I had grown up in a very creative household and I've been mainly self-taught. And is that something that you continue to do to this day, like uh, design? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I usually do oil paintings, okay. so that's my that's my main medium. And in in my podcast, I don't necessarily reflect a lot when it comes to that side of my of my life. I mention it here and there, but uh, people are not aware of how involved I'm, I am in it. Okay. in In 2018, I was selected by Governor Rick Scott of Florida as the Hispanic Artist of the Year. Oh, congrats! So, thank you. So I had an opportunity to actually go to the Capitol, uh, to Tallahassee, and have a solo exhibition at the Department of State. Wow. They acquired one of my pieces. So like (laughs) some of the dream things that I wanted to happen for me to be involved in something like that, those things have continued to materialize because of of, of my involvement in the arts still. How many oil paintings do you do a year? Well, I have slowed a lot since I got in into podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> as those podcasters out there may know, <laughs> podcasting takes a, a whole lot of your your time. Uh, but right now, I, I'm switching to focus a little bit more. I have a, another individual or solo show okay. in Tallahassee. So I need to supplement my 
I don't want to bring some stale work that's been with me for <laughs> for a long time. How long does so one, this year? How long does one one piece usually take you? I'm a slow painter, so a piece would take me a couple of weeks to okay. to get done. Uh, but because I'm doing so many other things, I work two hours here, three hours there, one hour there, and but a, a piece of you know a decent painting like the size of the one that you have behind you. Yeah. It would take me two good two weeks okay. of work. It's actually a poster, so and for the benefit of the listener, again, it's <laughs> uh, it's it's the one thing that I have on behind me is is a poster of the Pleiades star system. So <laughs> nice. Is it a photo? It's a photo. Yeah, I think it, it's probably like a Hubble photo or something like that. We got nice. it from one of those uh, websites that print out poster size photos. So it's I'm fascinated by uh, space. I love. I love the movies like uh, Gravity, Interstellar. Yes. Um, just movies that immerse you completely in space and just the, the vastness of it um, are some of my favorites. That's awesome. Well, we have something more to talk about whenever you get together. Again, <laughs> that's, my, that's one of my things. I love that. So podcasting, when, when did it uh, show up on your radar? Did you, did you start as a listener or did you just jump in as a creator? I definitely started as a listener. Mm -hmm. I was an avid listener. I... I could not get enough podcasts. I would listen to so many things. Mm -hmm. uh, anything from the independent creators to you know some of the bigger ones, uh, mainly about science, mm. history, okay. business, all of that. And I started thinking about getting myself involved in creating in 2012. Okay. And it came out of a, a need to to share knowledge. It came out of a need to teach. Mm. I I'm a member of, of of an organization whose focus is it's the development of men mm -hmm. in in their respective lives to grow and become better men. Yeah. And I was very involved in it for for a while. So I was I would go to the meetings and I would join with other men who were in the process of self development, mm -hmm. and I would help them. So that was satisfying that need to teach and then my wife's job became a little bit more demanding and it made it very difficult for me to stay involved at that capacity so here i was consuming all this information that i i found very useful mm -hmm. and it ended there i couldn't really have i didn't have a platform through which to share it and podcasting was perfect <laughs> i could do it from my home yeah didn't matter when i recorded two in the morning yeah noon didn't matter so that's how I started uh, actually putting together uh, my podcasting, my, produ my production part of podcast. And then, so take us through the the first one you created and the process for that. Oh, th this is, a, I think this is a very fun <laughs> <laughs> version. I don't know if you remember microphones for computers that you could get a cheap microphone oh, for yeah. a computer that was just a little bass mm -hmm. and a little plastic stem yep. with the microphone on the tip <laughs> yeah garbage microphone <laughs> that's what i had okay. laying around so i actually took a free uh audio editing software uh i think it was uh, uh audacity. audacity probably yeah <laughs> and then i took that little microphone and I made a pop filter out of nylon. Yeah, you must have been reading some of the YouTube videos or looking at, because I, I remember early on, people would be like, 
the super budget <laughs> just be like yeah. get a cheap microphone and then do, do the wire hanger with the, the pantyhose thing. that's exactly what i did that's exactly what i did and because i didn't have a wire hanger at the time i used electrical cable like roman cable i don't know if you're familiar with that but mm -hmm. it's like very sturdy okay very thick gauge that's cable and i made my own my own pop filter. So that's how I recorded the first one. <laughs> um, and which, that was the the Masonic Brotherhood one? That one was The Winding Stairs. The Winding that Stairs, was my, okay. Yeah. My first podcast is The Winding Stairs. It's about Freemasonry. Okay. It's about the practical application of the lessons of Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't, who might not know, Freemasonry, it's, it's a... It's an ancient fraternity. It's mm -hmm. been around for hundreds of years. And the focus of it is to help men become familiar with the different virtues uh, and apply them to their life, mm -hmm. how to be practical. And it uses the metaphor of building a temple. So basically our efforts to build ourselves as better man is similar to the building of a, of a big edifice. Mm -hmm. It needs to have a solid foundation upon which to, to grow and needs to be adorned beautifully in order to, to be attractive and really uh, elicit that spiritual connection with others. So I always found that found that that whole fraternity very interesting. Yeah. And the winding stairs began out of out of that necessity for me to continue to share lessons from it. In you know, even though I didn't have the flexibility to travel to go to meetings. What was what? Uh, and that's still active, right? Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, so how many episodes and what's the frequency of that show? On that show, I have a, a more relaxed schedule because mm -hmm. I create them as I, as I get inspired and I put yeah. them together. So I have close to 60 episodes on that. Okay. So, you know, do the math five years, what, six years. So a little bit less than, than 12, uh, uh, a year. Now, the other i have a the second podcast yep. is called the masonic roundtable mm -hmm. that one i started a year and a half or a year after i started the winding stairs okay and that one is has been a weekly podcast okay. for i don't know six years and they would seem to cover the same topic so this is interesting um how did you make a decision to start a different one and how are you differentiating the content for both of those great question uh the the winding stairs is a, basically has been a solo podcast so it's me coming together with specific topics to present about mainly the the practical application like how does it look to how does it look in real life to to have better management of your time mm -hmm. or how does it look in real life to have better control over your emotions and your passions and those kinds of things when it came to the the masonic round table it was five hosts that would research a topic and then we would come together live and record a show every thursday night uh so the differentiate the differentiation there is like we bring a lot of uh guests so we'll reach the different aspects of masonry for example freemasonry has what it's sometimes described as higher learning organization so after you become a master mason you can join the scottish rite or the york rite or the shriners or different different organizations so we can take people that are involved in those organizations bring them in and ask them questions about either the history of it or how 
things are practiced today, where the origin of different words or symbols, where the, those things come from. So it's more uh, historical. It's more, um, there's that big difference between how do I apply this or where did this come from? Is uh, Freemasonry typically for males only? Because you did mention the concept of fraternity, so... Yes, uh, in in the United States, mainly it is it is it's a it's a male organization. Uh, there are some countries that have relaxed their their admission to to have females, and um, the, it's a very convoluted story of of how that happened. Of course, you have people that are very traditionalist, and they yeah. they wanted to remain a fraternity. But there are others who recognize that the lessons that are available in Freemasonry are applicable to mm-hmm. females as well. So they've relaxed their, the way that they look at it. But in the United States, the recognized organizations of Freemasonry, they're, they're male only. How did you, uh, this is going to, uh, this is a huge rabbit hole for me. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to, yeah, we'll, <laughs> so we'll have to figure out how much um, we cover here. And then I'll, I'll probably sure. have some other questions for you but i'm like really like uh i've been studying a lot about i'm very spiritual mystery schools egypt all that sort of stuff so and i i'm I'm familiar at a high level but uh, i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you found freemasonry um and what was it that attracted you to it absolutely when when i was still living in puerto rico i had uh i lost my grandmother she this is a lady that I admired incredibly. She was very strong, very mm-hmm. inspiring, and very caring at the same time. And I remember distinctly at her funeral, there was a man standing up speaking about her and saying how great she was, the reputation she had, the the legacy that she was leaving behind with the the children that she brought up into adulthood who were examples and at one point he said no no wonder our worshipful master and he he said his name is such an amazing man and at that point i'm at that worshipful master like what is he talking about this (laughs) sounds like some kind of (laughs) (laughs) yeah some cult or some witchcraft or something and but he was speaking so eloquently about how great my grandmother and my uncle were. Hmm. So I became very curious about what is this Freemasonry thing and like, what does that have to do? Did you put, make the connection there that he was a Freemason? You knew already he was a Freemason? He didn't know. I didn't know. Okay. Even though I was present as at his installation as a worshipful master, I was too young to remember it. Okay. So, so was I your had family in it already? Only, only my uncle. Only your uncle. Okay. Only my uncle. And so that led me to start asking questions like, what is this? And it, it took several years of me asking. Mm-hmm. I did ask my uncle several times and he very politely said, oh yeah, we'll sit down and talk one day. And, but I took it as, okay, maybe he can't talk to me about it. Yeah. Or, uh, but eventually after I moved to the States, I started researching about its history, about its current influence in, in the world. And I thought, Everything that I read described mm-hmm. me and described my interest. Mm-hmm. So I made an approach to one of the local lodges. Mm-hmm. They invite me over for one of their dinners and 
I sat down, asked a ton of questions. They asked me a ton of questions <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> what do you think are some of the common misconceptions? Because you use a term like Freemasons, Masonic Temple. Mm -hmm. uh, people start immediately freaking out. They start thinking Scientology, cults, yeah. uh, <laughs> all the other That's organizations true. that people hear of from afar. Um, and just, you know, if, if you hear by... Um, rumors and stuff like that. So this would be a great opportunity. And, and I'm sure this is some of the stuff that you're asked frequently. So yes. what, are, what are some of the myths or common mis uh, misconceptions? Thank you. Well, part of part of the mission of us with the winding stairs and the Masonic Roundtable is to actually dispel some of these myths. Uh, for those those people who know me, they know the kind of man that I am. They know what I what I stand for, what my values are. And one of the biggest misconceptions about Freemasonry is that it has a nefarious purpose. A lot of people believe that that there is this big plan or big conspiracy to dominate the world and to get away with things. And, and such is not the case. Freemasonry, the focus is to to take a man and help him be a virtuous, a virtuous upright man. And by observing lessons that we find throughout many different uh, either religious uh, or social uh, constructs, if you think of, there are some threads that are common in many religions of the world mm -hmm. and many cultures of the world. Freemasonry looks at that thread about, for example, the importance of prudence, of knowing how to behave in a circumstance and how to hold back whenever your emotions are telling you, mm -hmm. you know, just punch that guy in the face, Yeah. right? Uh, when we talk about being um, being just and, and being honest and being industrious, all of these are lessons that are that are part of the common thread of many disciplines and many uh, belief systems and societies. And Freemasonry takes that from a more, uh, I would say a more secular kind of point of view. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, a, what I'm clear of is this idea that, uh, you know, dogmatic religion is definitely not anything that I gave up early on. I, I mean, I was raised Catholic, but so I consider myself profoundly spiritual, but in my mind, like there's, there's no one that should get in the way of my direct connection to God. Like mm. it's literally like a one way, like I if I got to, if I got to talk to him, it's, I'm just going to talk to him. Like right. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need a, a building or a priest or anyone to, to kind of be the, the, the toll collector, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's been helpful for me and I've done, I've, it's no secret. I've talked about it on the show. I've done ayahuasca ceremonies where I've had, you know, direct, Transmission oh, from, spirit, from spirit. I don't know how else to describe it, and uh, I've done I've done plant medicine before, so I'm I'm very in touch with you know I've got the Pleiades star system behind me, so I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can I can manage these conversations at a wide variety uh, of levels, and I'm, I'm I've been I've had a some sort of connection or just fascination with Egypt for the longest time, so I'm fascinated by um, mystery schools. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, the origins of some of the stuff that happens in Freemasonry, have, there's some connection with that, and and Absolutely. so, and just coming back to religion, the idea that the the all the the books that made it into the Bible were selected by a, a human, like a person. It's not yeah. like they didn't it, like a, the Bible didn't just like manage, magically appear <laughs> out, of, yeah. out of nothing. There's the Council of Nicene, uh, what was decided to go in, go out. There's the you know the the Essenes themselves, like the the 
Catholics that left, you know, decided, you know, they were persecuted by uh, the Vatican. And so it gets into like really crazy stuff oh, yeah. the more you research it. But Absolutely. naturally, it's, it's, I just, I think what's going to happen is we're going through an awakening on this planet. Some people call it an ascension. Some people call mm -hmm. it just an awakening of consciousness. But there's there's something happening, and I sense it really strongly in, in like the past couple of years. Uh, probably since 2012, I think it's, it's been a lot in terms of waves of consciousness raising. So it's going to be interesting because I think a lot of people are going to be awakening to um, this idea that we're definitely not alone. <laughs> we're definitely yeah. older from a civilization perspective than most people care to understand or wrap their heads around mm -hmm. um so yeah just to that point i think being naturally curious always questioning what people tell you i think um serves would serve a lot of people well that's a great point and as you know religion serves a purpose for a lot of people and it becomes it's an integral part of 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 their existence it's it's very important yeah. to a lot of people yeah. but it, it is also it has a lot of burden from history of of things that have happened due to religious dogma and fanaticism and fundamentalism and all those kinds of things so i, I do think as we work together to actually embrace that kind of awakening that kind of of spiritual uplifting we have to manage that transition or, or that interaction with our fellow man in a prudent kind of way. That's that's part of the reason why I have The Gentleman's Brotherhood, which is my youngest podcast. And, and the focus is helping men become great men, be able to recognize what their faults are and what their assets are and capitalize on, on their virtues and, you know, double down on on suppressing some of their their vices basically so did you find that the the that was a great segue because the gentleman's brotherhood then became an opportunity for you to implement and talk about the things that you were learning or, or from freemasonry into something that's you know can be more accessible to people because it doesn't have that 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 banner attached to it so people are more open for those types of conversations yeah, in, in a way, yes. If, if you think about this, when I learned about Freemasonry, I had identified in it things with which I was already familiar and desires of. So regardless of the organization, I really had that deep desire to to really become mm -hmm. a better man. And I, I didn't see the opportunity to become that better man through a religious vein, for example. Like I didn't see that as yeah. my path. I I wanted something that didn't have any kind of attachment to a mm -hmm. dogmatism or or anything like that. So when I joined Masonry, I did recognize a lot of things that were already part of my life. So here I am also almost going back okay. to my basics. Without the attachment to a necessarily mm -hmm. ancient tradition, I still have that desire to become a better man. And these lessons are not exclusive to any exactly. organization, like when you talk, you know, becoming a better father, for example, there are things you'll find in the Bible or you'll find things in the, in the Quran, or you'll find different uh, people with opinions of what being a good father is. But what I find is that there are a lot of different books today that are substantiated by some mm -hmm. empirical research that can better inform us on how to become a better father yeah. today without necessarily having to 
just follow a tradition. Here we are. Okay, this is what science shows that happens to a kid when you actually lift your hand in mm -hmm. anger against yeah. them. So here is an alternative for you to be more patient with the child. And you're not sleeping enough. Well, that's part of the reason why you are so short-tempered, where you're scatterbrained, why you are quick to anger. And none of these things require any kind of old tradition. We can look at today's science and we can look and say, okay, you do need seven to eight hours a day. As, yeah. as much as you claim that you don't, you do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So... So the Gentleman's Brotherhood tries to do that, is to try to put the, today's man in a pr with a practical advice on how to be a better man all around. So you said the drive for you came from this desire to want to be a better man. Where did that come from? You know, I don't think I have actually sat down and, and thought about that, <laughs> about where that desire comes from. I, I do feel naturally inclined to to self-assess and and look at how I could be better. I've always been very ambitious. So yeah, I'm just I'm just curious because it's like it's is it, it you know are, are you naturally I mean, for like for me I'm like, like naturally mm -hmm. curious. I like I'm and um I always my mind is racing constantly and I've been fascinated on things about this topic for a long time and even now like I'm in therapy now I'm seeing a therapist and this idea of core beliefs has been really interesting about the effects of like how your parents yeah. raise you it's been fascinating to just kind of understand why we do the things we do um, but if you don't have a desire to to learn about that then you're almost in reactive mode yes. to the world you just let things happen to you and let life sort of just you're um, the, the, the metaphor is the dryer. Basically you're just in there tumbling around because just like this is how the world is. And just, I'm just gonna let things happen to me. And so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm 49, I'm about to turn 50 this year. So I've been having this realization of like what I want, the, assuming I'll get to a hundred, I'm at the halfway mark. Yeah. <laughs> so what do I want the next 50 to, yeah. to look like, you know, and, and how, it's almost like how how much exponentially can I change in the next fifty? As much as I'm, I've saying I've grown and I've learned a lot in, in the first fifty. Like, can I can I top that? Can I ten x yeah. that? You know, can I hundred x that? So that's I'm I'm fascinated by that. So I'm just wondering if you you would describe it as a calling or a, a yearning or <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious about it. interesting how like what moves people to to want to be better. That is the kind of question that if you really ask yourself in the middle of the night, just by yourself, you you won't go to sleep. You'll keep on thinking. You won't go to sleep. But, but it's, I'm glad that you asked me though, because of course, today I have different motivators for wanting to be better. At one time, perhaps before I, I was in college, my desire to be a better man or to learn what being a man was, was for me to be a good suitor for a good quality woman. And yeah. before, you know, while I was in college, I wanted to be able to be a good uh, candidate to work in a company that I that I wanted to to work. And with arts, the same thing. I wanted to be able to to become a master of uh, of the color. Uh, or become a master of expressing myself through through the brush. But today, my my motivators are very different. I have Aiden and Mason, which are my two boys, and I I want to be a, an example to them, and I want to be able to 
not jeopardize their growth because of my ignorance of something. Uh, for example, parenting, going back to parenting, I come from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. In Puerto Rico, if you step out of line, your mother takes off her sandal, you get, get the chancleta automatic, <laughs> and you can get the, the remote chancleta. So if you're not within striking distance, the, the e, the e the, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the boomerang chancleta. So that's hilarious. So chancleta for the listener is uh, la is Spanish for uh, flip, -flop. Sand, flip flop sandal. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I grew up in a culture that that is how you correct the child. You actually inflict oh, yeah. physical pain upon them so that they realize that what they're doing is wrong and they need oh, to yeah. stop it. Well, studies show that that is not an effective way to correct a child's misbehavior. Now, how as a man, can I not lose respect for my children, not lose authority and still yield the, the obedience that my parents expected from me through a chancleta method? That sounds like a title of a book. We should work on that. The chancleta method. <laughs> the chancleta method. <laughs> yeah, I grew up, I mean, I like, I'm, uh, grew up in New York, New York City. So I have a lot of, I'm Salvadorian. So I was born in El Salvador, but raised in New York, but I have a lot of Puerto Rican friends and that I mean New York City is Puerto Rican and Dominican culture oh, yeah. a lot so learn uh, definitely uh, familiar with oh, the yeah, sure. <laughs> you get so yeah so what what is the what, what did you what conclusion have you come to so far and I realize it's an ongoing journey but what have you discovered so far uh, in regards to to what yeah this idea of like um, and obedience feels like a strong word but like how yeah. have respect for the guidance, you know, if you think about it from, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we select our parents, right? And mm. uh, it's, I had an experience during an ayahuasca session where I saw the moment where I picked my parents. It was pretty mind blowing. And it was a, a an agreement that I made to incarnate on this planet. And I would, because of the challenges of what I would have to go through, could only happen in this family unit. Wow. <laughs> so it That's was profound. wild. It was wild. And uh what's funny is that I'm I'm I one of my intentions in the morning is I created this life because I wanted to. So there was a part of me that spirit and said, okay, it, I, I always use the Chinese menu right, metaphor. I was like, okay, I'm gonna take, you know, challenging parents, um of siblings, you know, having challenging conversations and experiences with them, you know, this, 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 all this like weird thing that you would never think about in the 3d world that you'd sign up for but on a spiritual level i wanted to grow mm -hmm. and i needed to have those experiences of like and i'm gonna go do that and then um all my spiritual like buddies were like you realize when you get down there you're gonna forget we had this conversation you're gonna forget that you you chose this life wow. and you're gonna be like you know struggling and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm cool with that and they're like all right <laughs> and so that's what happened like so awesome. when, when you talk about like your children i feel like I think what they say, you know, when, the stuff that I've read is those first seven years, like that veil between where they came from and where they, in, in the, the 3D world is what I call like earth, like, um, um, is thin. So, you know, when, when, when they say something like I hear voices or I have an imaginary friend, like in my mind, that is 100% like real for them because it is, they are yeah. literally communing and talking to someone. And mm -hmm. so respecting this, where they're at and treating them with respect and that they're, they're sometimes smarter coming in that moment than we are because we've been jaded and been conditioned. And then they're not, they're coming in fresh. They're like, 
I, I just came from like, the world of endless possibilities, and yeah. that's why they're so excited and they're so imaginative and they're so creative. So I'm wondering, just in the in the in the scope of that, like how you think about <laughs> parenting? No, that's that's I'm I'm happy that you say it like that because if you think about one of the things that for me has yielded very good results, and I am very fortunate that we had this conversation early, my wife and I, is that we were not going to treat them as idiots. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, this is one thing that I see uh, every now and again, where you you have a parent that talks to the child as if they are oh, yeah. less human or mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't even understand it sometimes. Yeah. I said, they're intelligent. They know what we're talking about. And life is a negotiation, basically. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I, that I, I talked to, talk to my wife about is we need to treat them not as adults because they're not adults, but they are sentient, smart beings. And yeah. we need to give them respect for that. And they'll respect us in return. Mm -hmm. And we would ask them questions like, you realize what you just did? Like you just screamed at me in front of my friends? How do yeah. you think that makes me feel? And yeah. just let them ruminate <laughs> on that question. Oh, well, oh, he must have been embarrassed. Like, how do you think my friends feel about this interaction? What do you, That's how great. are they going to think about you? And you just let them use their little brain to simmer on the question. And mm -hmm. sometimes we feel that they don't listen. And to me, I, I've never, it never ceases to amaze me when they come back to me later on a day or two and they repeat something I told them in a moment where I thought they were ignoring me. Oh, of course, they're always listening. Yeah. So keeping that in mind and, and being having that present of mind constantly has made my wife and I better parents mm -hmm. because we didn't have to necessarily resort to to violence to get them to realize, yeah. don't raise your voice at me when we're in public. By the way, you're not getting that toy that you were asking about. Yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. And uh, have you had any feedback from friends or seen the way like you interact with your, your children at all? I, I have. Yeah. Um, with, the, with the risk of... Well, I, I have to be very, very cautious as <laughs> no, I say that because no if they listen. <laughs> no, I don't any names, yeah. like in general, yeah. Yeah, well, I, in the moment of misbehavior of a friend's mm -hmm. kid, them making a comment, how come, how come your kid never does it? How come it's my kid that is always doing X? Mm -hmm. And... Of course, because it comes in the form of a question, it opens yeah. the door for me to say, well, here's what I was struggling with. Here's yeah. how I used to do it. And cool. this yields better result. You may want to consider it. Mm. Instead of trying to parent their own kids or... Yeah. It's hard because no one likes to be told what, they're do, what to do. No one likes to be told they're wrong, yeah. you know, or shamed into behavior. So I think those are... Um, yeah, I think you're managing that those conversations very effectively. Yeah. I, I, I try. And, and I'm... And, and this is one of my faults and my wife doesn't like it, but I, I discipline other people's children when they're within my vicinity. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm one of those parents and I know like that's frowned upon and I guess yeah. that's something I have to learn about, but I, I would speak to the children and say, no, please don't run around me or, you know, don't, don't climb on my car or whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just, uh, I guess that's a little bit of that. Puerto Rican <laughs> spice that <laughs> it comes through. <laughs> yeah, some of that you can't, it's hard to change. Yeah, and, and we grew um, up like that. The yeah. chancleta doesn't have to come from your mother. No. The chancletazo, as we call it, can <laughs> come from the neighbor or it can come from a friend of, of yeah. your parents. That's and, true, that's true. 
and God forbid that you know you turn <laughs> yeah i get the sense that some of that is attributable to the community raising aspect of Correct. it because you see in latino culture like the, everyone kind of chips in to raise the child but also discipline if necessary you know if, if the parents not around so absolutely and yeah. you know lately we've been hearing a lot about community when it comes to the podcast scene and yeah. and and i would make this a call to you know to all your listeners if 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 you allow me yeah. the this connection this remote connection we have through the podcast medium it's a very powerful one but it's mm-hmm. one that opens the door to that physical community yeah if you have ways in which to have a hangout or a a meetup of some kind mm-hmm. or attend an event where you can actually face to face come and meet with your fellow human beings yeah. you exponentially raise the the value in in, in whatever you're conveying through your through your podcast. So where where have you found that to be useful in in, in your life? Absolutely. With with the Masonic Roundtable and the Winding Stairs, okay. we have a a very large community. On Facebook we have a Facebook group about Freemasonry and mm-hmm. and all that. It's 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 approaching 20,000 members now. Wow. So we've met in person uh, as a result of the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, if, if you remember how I started, it was because I couldn't physically go to my meetings and I had yeah. that need to connect. I started with the podcast, but that led to lodges inviting me from all over the states and, and from different countries. They mm-hmm. invite me to speak. So I'll okay. come to different events and actually connect physically with with the members of my community. Mm-hmm. And I have lifelong relationships that mm-hmm. have been forged in that in that physical interaction so talk about the um the gentleman's brotherhood podcast what or even just in in general all of them how have you grown as a podcast host um from the time if you think about the time you started what some of the stuff you stumbled with and how how have you seen the change uh, over the years well there has been one benefit of not working by myself that I'm very fortunate of is that discipline and that consistency that I've developed through at least the Masonic Roundtable, which is the one that I share with four other hosts. Um, that that sh- it, it shined a light on my need to have a team around me, to have people that can support me and motivate me to stay consistent and you know, continue to provide value through through the podcast. Um, I, I would say that I've learned a lot about the importance of not allowing the tools to become an impediment. And many times we we think, oh, well, I need another light. I've never stopped. I've never stopped getting microphones, never stopped getting <laughs> lights. Like it will never end. Uh, but I, I try to become as dexterous with those different instruments so that they become, it, it's just part of the periphery. It's not even... It's, it's not the podcast. It's, you know, it's just the tools that allow me to do it. Mm-hmm. And a a good parallel or a good um, allegory that I use when talking about this is I'm a chess player. And when I started playing chess. When, when did you start? I started playing, I want to say it was before my mother passed. So it must have been 2002. She had a dream that I would get become good enough at playing chess that I would beat my little brother who was a brat. Mm about anytime he will win he will be boastful and like give her yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she said Le- learn the game on your own stealthily 
And then I want you to beat him one day. That was a dream. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I started then and I've, I've kept track of, of my games. I, I did a lot of playing on chess.com, like with the application virtually. Is that, so, is that a good, uh, would, would that be a recommendation for someone to get started? If, if, I would chess, say so. Chess.com? Yeah. yeah, chess.com, like if you get the application, you can play with people live all around the world. So on a moment's notice, I would open the app and there was someone Very ready cool. to play with me anytime. Cool. So I, I played thousands of games on that. <laughs> yeah, it was an outlet for my frustrations. Yeah, and obviously for thinking um, strategically yes. and, and, and I would I imagine it helps a lot with that as well. Oh, yes. But to complete the, the, the allegory is that when I started playing, I had to think that the pawn can only move forward once or twice at the beginning. And I had to think, okay, how does this one move? Does it move diagonal? Does it move horizontal? Can I jump here or there? And at the beginning, that's all I could see is how many pawns do I have? How many bishops do I have? Like, where are they? Where can they move? Like, that was the whole focus. But as I kept on playing, that became second nature. All I needed to was to look at the board and make decisions of what, where was I moving next? I didn't have to think about how does the pawn move or the rook or anything like that. So the same thing happens with your microphone. Like you don't need to, uh, at first, you know, how many decibels under zero do you need so that your voice yeah. sounds fine? Like yeah, who yeah. knows? Well, now that's not even a problem. I can tell that my voice is coming through clear. Mm-hmm. I know how to edit things out how to reduce the noise and now my focus is not on the reduction of the noise and the improvement of the quality now my vision is only is the content what my connection with my listener is that's all i'm thinking about now very cool so what has you excited or what in terms of how you grow or how, how how the show evolves i have evolved to now incorporate youtube into it so I I have been working on editing, getting better at editing and putting yeah. things together. Um, and even though we, I used to do uh, a lot of Google Hangouts with the podcast, and it's not the same as taking actually, you know, taking footage and B roll and music and putting together a, a narrative that moves the spirit basically. And I'm very excited about the Gentleman's Brotherhood's next step. Mm-hmm. I have in the can like if you go right now to the podcast you'll think well this guy is just starting like he only has four podcasts in there or whatever (laughs) yeah of course that doesn't reflect all the other uh podcast episodes that i've done but i'm excited i already have a collection of of episodes that i've recorded that i've edited and i am doing almost supplementary videos for those so anything from the aspects of looking better like a gentleman like how should you wear a tie like what's an easy attractive way to wear a tie all the way down to the the inner part of the man like how do you actually respond to criticism Mm. what does your negative reaction to criticism reflect upon you and your self-esteem and what can you do to improve it and we're thrown into the world with very little instruction on how to be a man we don't have a manual that tells us how does a man look in the 21st century like look at what's happened now with the me too movement mm-hmm. and the 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 topic of toxic masculinity i'm not toxic by by virtue of being a man no there are some men in our community that are toxic and they have allowed themselves to be so yeah but 
can we expect our kids to grow up to be great men if the role models they're looking up to are celebrities, sports yeah. figures, yeah. musicians? There have to be more resources. And I have to yeah. I have to praise uh, men like Ryan Mickler, who has the Order of Man, and you have uh, Brett McKay from uh, The Art of Manliness. They right. are approaching this this void where men need some sort of guidance to become excellent men. And mm -hmm. I'm very excited about the possibility of me contributing to some man out there who, who needs some sort of guidance. He wants a really good life and one that is meaningful that leaves a, a positive legacy. How can he do that? Yeah. And, and hopefully I can contribute a little bit in that. Sounds like you're well on your way. So <laughs> that's awesome. I appreciate we'll make that. Sure, we'll make sure we have links to all that stuff uh, in, the, in the show notes as well. Uh, a couple of questions as we wrap up. Um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Ah, I love that question. I have changed my mind recently about... Oh, wow. I love that question. Okay. Well, recently, I, I have changed my mind about my, my approach to opportunities. Mm. Uh, even though I, I preach that it's important to learn how to say no, you don't have to say yes to every opportunity. Uh, I have, just like you have started a theme this year with uh, simpl simplifying, simplifying things. Yeah. Uh, I have, have a similar uh, commitment to streamline. Mm -hmm. I can do many things. But I don't want to be known as a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm. I, w I want to make sure that I that I become a master of of my craft and anything that distracts from that, as lucrative as it may seem, or yeah. I, I need to really stick to my guns and, and and focus my energy on what really matters today. What's one of the one a couple one or two things that you want to continue to learn how to be a master at? I need to be a master of my art. I have room for improvement okay. and I want to become better at that. I do want to become better at, at storytelling. I I've been a public speaker for, for quite some time and I've, okay. uh, I've been a member of Toastmasters, which has greatly helped. And, and I think that what I say can be, diminished by how I say it mm. or it can be amplified by how I say it. Yeah. So I, I want to become a master at being able to convey a message in a way that it's going to have a lasting impact. Those are good ones. What is the most misunderstood thing about you? Huh? People may think that because of the quality of the things that I put out there, this is like, I'm giving you a little peek behind the scenes here <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, I, I usually, you know, I dress well. My background is on point. If I, <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> it is. Yeah, modesty, I'll that. My, my modesty is the best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, even, even though like the quality of the things that I put out there give the yeah. impression that I have everything in order and then everything is, is good. I am a flawed man like any other. Mm -hmm. I have chaos in my calendar. I have areas of my studio that I wouldn't dare pan this camera to. <laughs> so just know that it, regardless of how perfect things may look from your point of view, there is always chaos amidst the perfection, the perceived perception, perfection. Yeah. And I think uh, that's the case with everyone's life. I think too often in this world of 
Instagram selfies that people are just painting the picture of what they want their life to be. But I, I keep joking that I want someone to start the Instagram post of like, real life where it's like wow. i just spilled coffee on my pants i just like missed the bus i just like like uh you know <laughs> gotta poop, pick up my dog's poop like it's just yeah. like it's just kind of all these little things like no you people are only putting their best foot forward and what's, what's the challenge is is that it's it's making people work harder who don't have a solid discipline of what they want their life to be to be swayed by you know the people that are showing a life that they then aspire to because you could have a great day and then you see someone is just like just diving into their infinity pool in like in in bali and you're just like (laughs) exactly but it's not it's not real life and i think it's important that um i I think what you're doing is, is is really good in terms of like being honest about what's our our real life is like but always showing that there's there's ways to improve and and i think um the more we can show people how to live a genuine life mm-hmm. um, without having to feel like they need to compete with everyone else i think the better off we'll all be yeah and thank thank you for your kind words and and i i believe that what you're doing it has a, a similar vein like if you think about you are giving people a view behind the scenes of what a podcast is. Yeah. And most people that listen to podcasts, they just hear that 30-minute, one-hour show. But the other 35 hours that come into <laughs> the preparation, the editing, yeah, yeah, yeah. the scripting for some people, it is chaotic and it's stressful. Yeah, it so, is. you know, it. I, I think what you're doing is great, showing people that when – there is a way for you to create something of value, but it's mm-hmm. it's messy. My paintings, they start ugly, guaranteed. <laughs> the fr- they only get pretty yeah. at the last hour to two hours. It's like ah, then yeah. it there it is. But the first the the beginning is messy, but the end is 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 beautiful. But you see the inherent beauty in like in your mind. You know that you there's a there's a a vision for what you want to create sort of like Michelangelo sees the slab of stone or, you know, and then knows there's a David there. Correct. Right? And so it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think the, the, the creative path is always something that I found incredibly fascinating. Oh yeah. Well, brother, time flies when you're having fun. Like we are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, where's the best place for folks to track you down online uh, to get connected with all, all the stuff you're working, the amazing stuff you're working on. Excellent. So they can find me. My handle everywhere is at the gents bro. So it's short for the gentleman's brotherhood. So mm-hmm. at the gents bro on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Uh, and if you're interested in some of the Masonic uh, Freemasonry topics, you can find me on the winding stairs.com and the Masonic Harry, thank you so much. Well, make sure I have all those links in there. And again, thanks for your time and, and sharing your story with, with this audience. Uh, really enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Me too. It's been an honor being here. I appreciate it, Harry. Thanks again to Juan for representing the Gentleman's Brotherhood on the show. Learned a lot about uh, the Masonic Brotherhood. Some questions that I had previous to him coming on. So I'm glad we got to dig into that a little bit. He's a fascinating guy, and I always enjoy conversations with him, so I really appreciate the time to go deeper on topics that are of interest to me and to allow folks like Juan to tell their story. Don't forget to support our sponsors, Focusrite, makers of the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, 3G version. 
Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Podcast production and marketing by Fullcast.co. Excited to spend some time with my podcast peeps at PodFest. If you haven't bought your ticket already, there should still be time as of this recording, but let's make sure we connect if you're there already. I'll be active on the HOVA app, W-H-O-V-A, which is the app for the event, so make sure we connect there as well. Stay tuned next week for a fantastic conversation with the one and only James Cridland, editor of Pod News, who I won't see at PodFest because he won't be able to make it. <laughs> so next week will be your connection with him and I. Thanks again for all you do to support the show. Have a fantastic week.